Welcome to Views from the World Tree. On this week's show, we actually take time to look up in the skies and see the truth behind the birds. They may actually be spying on you and me. And now, on with the show. Spooky. Oh, wait, I have something for this. Where is it? Where is it? Ah, ah, there it is. see good news everyone um so jumping into news so for me i have not necessarily been reading a whole lot um so i'm not sure if this counts but i have been doing a lot of writing writing i guess i should pronounce my t's a lot of writing uh this past week week for work I'm doing a fairly broad, fairly large technical documentation project. Um, so in the last week, I, in the last week, I've written about 300 pages of content um, since our last recording. Just mostly like wiki style articles, everything from like technical specifications to operating procedures, um, which sounds pretty dry, but I don't actually mind technical writing. Um, I actually like took classes on it back when I was in school the first time around. <laughs> um, cause I find it, um, like the instructional writing, I find it interesting. Uh, the only downside is I can't listen to any of my audiobooks or podcasts while I work like I usually do because, um, while I can listen to the spoken word and write code at the same time, listening to a book and then trying to write like an article is very difficult. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> I uh, I realized that today as I was uh, in between uh, labs today at school, I was listening to a um, I was listening to a book on tape, uh, taking notes on uh, today's episode, and it didn't go very well. I found out. I found myself writing what the author was saying rather than actually writing what I needed to write. So it was kind of a wash. So I had to switch to music. Yeah, that's, that's how it's been for me. Um, and then for what I've been watching this week, I, I don't even remember how I found this YouTube channel, but I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole. As um, you do. As you do. <laughs> Um, I can tell you, so the channel name is C90 Adventures. It's the letter C and then nine zero adventures. Um, the recommended video that came up was he had purchased some like miniature Jeep. It looked like it was built off of like a go-kart platform and he was going to drive it from, um, the North end of Utah. So from like, I think he was in like Ogden. Um, all the way down to Moab and take it on the Jeep trails. Um, so I, I started looking through his channel and he has this really cool series. Um, so it, it's a young British guy or English specifically. And in this series, it's called Alaska to Argentina. And he took an old junker Honda C90 motorcycle, really more of a scooter. Um, and he and his girlfriend hit the road up in, uh, the northernmost point of Alaska and with a plan to drive down to the Southern tip of Argentina. And they actually <laughs> even, um, it, it ended up being even longer because they decided to take a detour across Canada, um, to cross the border on the eastern side of the continent, went down into New York, um, did some sightseeing there, and then took a trail called the Trans-American Trail that goes from New York and Pennsylvania all the way across to Oregon, to the Pacific Coast. 
And then from there, they turned south and went down through California into Mexico and, and down. Um, the, he's been at it for like three or four years and he does have the final episode up. Um, he uploaded that a couple months ago, but the one that I'm on, they, um, just caught a ferry in Panama to go over to, to South America. So it's really interesting. It's really similar to the series that you mentioned at some point with Ewan McGregor. And uh, I think they had electric bikes, but um, it's just really, I don't know, really entertaining for some reason. He's <laughs> um, not like an accomplished filmmaker or anything, doesn't do any fancy cinematography, but something satisfying about watching just this like random Joe um, traveling across the country on this little Honda uh, scooter that you could buy for like 300 bucks. That sounds awesome. I have to check it out and I have to live <laughs> vicariously through him. I think that's part of what drew me in is, you know, he just hit the road and he's just been living on the road, uh, camping out, um, staying in like hostels during the winter months and just kind of doing his thing. So kind of that, that open road freedom that I wish I would have done when I was younger, but now probably have too many uh, responsibilities and, and bills and stuff. So, uh, I mean, there's people our age that sell everything and buy a sprinter van and live in a van down by the river. Um, and get away with it. So, I mean, you're never too old to chase your dreams of uh, motorcycle diarying it. Yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> How was that for like three obscure references in one sentence? <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> um, and then, so the, the other form of entertainment that I've been digesting this week is uh, World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King Classic. And this honestly has been like ridiculously fun. So um, I've seen statistics reported by big YouTubers that the Wrath Classic servers are about twice as populated as they were in 2008 when it first came out. <laughs> um, and I, I say that because I play on a, a role-playing server and they tend to be much less populated but even there, it's like I haven't had a queue to log in, but you go into a, a major city and you start to notice the lag. And it's just so much fun seeing like literally hundreds of people out running around. And just that, uh, I don't know, for me, this was kind of like the high point in the game. It kind of like got better and better. I think it kind of peaked around this point, maybe from like Wrath to Pandaria. And then it started to kind of go downhill a little bit. And so it's just been really cool, like reliving some of the nostalgia, but then also going through and um, being able to play with people that are seeing it for the first time and kind of relive that like um, initial sense of awe that I had you know, six years ago or four years ago. Let's see, 2008, I can't do math. It's hard. 14 years ago. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, um, if it were your child, it would be a high schooler now. That's crazy to think. That, that's how old Wrath was, <laughs> is. But yeah, super fun. Um, and actually, they're doing things a little bit differently from the first time around. Uh, specifically, they're not adding the looking for group or the looking for dungeon tool. And they're also adding a new dungeon difficulty. They're calling Heroic Plus. It's kind of like the modern Mythic Plus, but without uh, like rotating um, affixes on the monsters, without weird timers. It's basically just a harder version of Heroic with more mechanics, uh, mostly because Heroic Dungeons in the original Wrath were notoriously easy and kind of just turned into a, a grind to get oh, the, the currency from it. Man. 
Oh, I hate that dungeon with a passion. Yeah. So, yeah, tons of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to Ulduar. That's like my favorite raid of all time. Nice. Sorry. Uh, I didn't realize how much I was going to geek out on uh, on this until you started. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Um, so I don't want to gush about it too much. We can talk about it on a future episode maybe, but... Um, so for like other news, nothing really in like news headlines that I noticed, uh, that caught my attention. Um, I've kind of been doing this like garden update every week. So, um, our irrigation season ended today was the last day to shut off our irrigation water. So my lawn is now at the mercy of the gods. Um, I will still be watering my trees and some of our garden plants with, um, potable water from our house spigot, uh, which I don't feel bad about because trees help everything in my yard use less water. And it also saves on my AC costs and my garden is a source of food. So, um, if anybody's planning it coming at me on Twitter, make sure you have rebuttals for those arguments. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. It's always bittersweet when, uh, when the watering season is done. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I'm also excited for it to actually really start cooling off. So, Oh man, that's the hope. I was hoping that would happen for us today, but we hit like 85, 86. So it's still pretty hot in the city. Yeah. We had a pretty good cool down last week. And then the last three or four days we hit low nineties. Uh, but then tomorrow our high is like 73 and it's supposed to be that way for the next week. So hopefully it stays cool. There you go. That was it for me. So nice. Um, I guess I'll take over. Um, as far as reading, um, I haven't really had a chance to read a lot, but to kind of get excited about the Halloween season, about um, all of the spookiness that's going on, I decided to uh, to start, or well, to reread um, the world's greatest love story uh, in Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula. Nice. Not sure that I've heard it uh, described that way before. <laughs> It, it may be a bit of an overreach. Uh, there is something about the language uh, and the the second part of the book um, where uh, the Count is in England where he's carrying on correspondence through letters, the series of letters. That's just um, is amazingly well-written and just amazing content, um, which is why I would label it as kind of a romance during that section of the book. It's, it's really kind of neat. So maybe not a romance, still a horror, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, horror romances have been pretty popular in modern times. So yeah, the whole twilight true. and and all of that. Except unlike in twilight, the original, uh, the, the original vampire story, um, they don't glisten in the uh, sunlight. <laughs> they don't no sparkle. No sparkling. <laughs> nope. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I I finally found time. Uh, I've been going to school full time and I've been um, working all three days of the weekend for the last couple of weeks. But I finally found time this week to sit down and try to finish Cobra Kai. I'm about halfway through the latest season, and it's kind of a let off compared to the first four, but it's still pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, I think you said that you haven't really watched that so yet. I yeah, I haven't. It's on the list for eventually if I ever run out of stuff to watch. So. I, I think growing up, uh, The Karate Kid was always one of my favorite go-to movies. Like I, 
I loved it. I loved the story. I loved the Eastern philosophy. I loved all that stuff. And so this, uh, this TV series is like a throwback to that. Um, and I think that's why I enjoy it so much. And then, um, on the IMDb freebie, uh, my wife and I just started watching, uh, leverage redemption, which is kind of the sequel to the original leverage series from TBS. Uh, so remind me which one leverage is, um, it's the group of criminals, uh, hacker, thief, um, con man, drifter who basically pull Robin hood. They find the scum of the earth and they steal from them. Okay. As a penance for past crimes that they did. Um, gotcha. That, yeah, that does sound familiar now. It is pretty good. I do enjoy it. Uh, problem is, I only watched one or two episodes of the original, so I, I, I'm kind of lost on the sequel. The, the reason we actually started to watch it is it's got three-fifths of the... Well, three-sixths, so half of the cast from the librarians... Uh, Oh, is okay. in this and so it's really fun to see them in a different role nice yeah those are a good uh good series of movies as well did you ever watch the tv show on the librarians um i did not just the just the movies with noah wiley and uh what's his name the old guy that's in <laughs> that like guest stars in every show i can't remember his name yeah i Professor Proton from Big Bang Theory. Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, the TV series was great. Um, okay. And it's got the the leverage TV. The leverage TV series has a lot of the cast from the TV series. If you have a Hulu subscription, I think it's on Hulu, and it mm. is by far one of my favorite. Uh, kind of sci-fi archaeology type of shows. Super nice. fun. It's like Doctor Who meets Warehouse 13 meets uh, Indiana Jones. I do love me some Warehouse 13. That so. was a good show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like like surprisingly good. I I liked it for about a season and a half, and then it got a little too repetitive. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if you're going to do a Monster of a Week show, you really need to avoid repetitiveness. In yeah, my opinion. that one suffered from some a lot of like internal politics and, and writer strike issues. I was going to say, it, it came out during the uh, writer strike, didn't it? Uh, yeah, and then it was like it was supposedly going to be canceled and so they were like trying to wrap up the storyline and then they were like just kidding so they had to unravel some of that but so it got battle starred <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah. <laughs> there you go um and then as far as actual news uh i didn't have anything until probably about five minutes before we went on air but uh, I was scrolling through my MSN home page and I saw that the Colorado State Fish, which is the greenback cutthroat trout, which um, scientists had thought went, uh, went extinct in about 1937, that Colorado Parks and Wildlife actually found a juvenile greenback cutthroat a couple years ago. And it has... Um, grown to adulthood and is spawning now and so it's the first time in almost a hundred years that this fish has spawned in the wilderness uh, that we know of and so the Colorado State Fish is not extinct and may actually be coming back nice that's really cool it is. Uh, for those people in Colorado that live on the Front Range who happen to like fishing, 
look up the markings on this fish and return it to the water as soon as you can so it can continue making its comeback, please. Yeah. That that's my plug. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> yeah. Uh and that's basically the news. Sounds good. Let's jump into the main topic then and talk about all about how birds are not real, but they are government surveillance drones or whatever. That's the one that I've heard anyway. Oh, that's that's the theory. And pretty compelling, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So before we jump into it, and do the facts. Uh, l- let's let's play a quick game, if you will, Adam. Sounds good. <clears throat> what do you know about this theory? Um, I, other than knowing the theory, I don't know a whole lot of like the the history behind it. I had heard somewhere, or maybe I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is one of those that like started out as satire, similar to the flat earth. Um, and then people like picked it up and ran with it. <laughs> At least I seem to, to remember the first I heard of it, it was definitely satire. And then it uh, kind of grew. Um, and then I, yeah, I've heard like different details about uh, supposedly why they're, surveillance drones and how they work and and things like that. But uh, for me, this one has always been satire. So I haven't really looked into it very much, but it is uh, one of the more humorous ones. I think it it might be one of my favorites. I've always been excited about this one. Yeah. Um, Have you noticed an increase in birds in your neighborhood? Perhaps uh, pigeons or uh, Canadian geese? Uh, this time of year, yes. <laughs> In fact, uh, across the so our we have a, a highway that runs along the north side of our. Or sorry, yeah, the north side of our property, and on the other side of that is a a field. Um, most recently, it was a barley field. Changes different types of the year, obviously, but every morning there are probably. No exaggeration, probably 60 to 80, if not more, Canadian geese out there in the in the field. So I have definitely, definitely noticed an increase. I don't know what I did to become such a high value target, but I've <laughs> been reading my tweets, I guess. I, I didn't really mean like an increase, but uh, more <laughs> an increase of Canadian geese that are no longer migrating, I guess is kind of the theory. But yeah, on Twitter oh, okay. and on stuff. Here in Colorado, you see these Canadian geese that supposedly come down from Canada, but you see them year round. <laughs> mm, okay. And so one of the theories is that uh is that these birds are being replaced by drones. So I was just curious if uh if you had <laughs> seen this yourself. I have seen some um gulls, seagulls around which uh seems a little suspicious to me because of where i live now uh, where i used to live there was a you know a, a giant salt lake <laughs> which would have explained it but uh there's nothing like that here so seems sus as the kids like to say <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh well let's kind of go into the theory right now Okay. Uh, basic over arc of the theory is that the government has exterminated um, about 15% of the native bird population in the United States and replaced them with very sophisticated robots that are used to spy on us. And so I say we go down this rabbit hole of birds aren't real. Okay. <laughs> so that's always actually one thing that I wondered is because I, I mean, I, we've talked before I'm a hunter (laughs) I've shot birds before and like cut them open and there's no electronics in there but if it's only 15% then that actually makes sense yeah um 
we'll we'll get into what type of birds uh, as we go down the line. But cool. Uh, so this is the origin seri- story, and if you're interested in reading it yourself, uh, birdsaren'treal.com. Go check it out. Uh, under the about us, there's a history, and you can grab all this information minus the last little bit uh, from there. So, um, timeline. In 1947, the CIA was formed uh, with the sole purpose of monitoring people who were uh, possible communist spies. Uh, So they wanted to surveil, capture uh, communists, uh, bring them to trial, and make sure that nobody was selling American secrets to the Soviet Union at the time. Um, during this time, very few were convicted uh, because there just wasn't enough evidence. The CIA just didn't have enough information on these people. Um, so they knew that they had to do something more uh, to get more information, especially after the Rosenberg trials, uh, where the Rosenbergs were arrested, tried, found guilty of selling state secrets to the Soviet Union. Um, if you don't know about that story, look it up. It is actually really fascinating, especially since new evidence has kind of come out that uh, they quite possibly were not actually engaged in espionage, but that's besides the point. Um, so with the new scare of actually catching a uh, husband and wife in the D.C. area of uh, spying for the Soviet Union, the government used their uh, the scare to justify putting in the very first closed capture or closed circuit TV camera in um, in areas where Russian expats had moved and fled this fled the Soviet Union. So the first CCTV were put in DC neighborhoods full of Russian expatriates. Okay. Which is, so that's, this part of the history is not a theory, right? This is like actually <laughs> confirmed. Yes, this is, this is where the government started the, uh, where the government started its, uh, its surveillance on American citizens. Um, gotcha. Yep. Okay. Oh, and I see you're putting the links in chat. Very good. Trying to. Um, I'll I'll do the next little bit and then I'll let you take over. Um, So in 1953, uh, seeing the success of the CCTV in these neighborhoods and actually seeing that the CIA was able to record uh, and look at film and try to decide who was a Russian spy and who is actually loyal to the American uh, government. Then CIA director Alan Dulles petitioned the U.S. president, Dwight Eisenhower, to put CCTV cameras in the air. He, uh, he claimed that one camera in the air would be worth 100 on the ground, um, allowing them to cover more space, allowing them to track citizens better, allowing them to track vehicles, see the comings and goings and where everybody's going. Uh, And President Eisenhower uh, agreed, saying it would be real, uh, real good. And so Dulles uh, went back to a think tank, this super top secret think tank, to figure out how to put cameras in the air. And um, this is a quote from the website, uh, which I thought was funny. Dulles and his team hated birds with a passion and were heard on many occasions calling them flying slugs and scum of the skies as they would often (laughs) poop on their cars in parking lots at CIA headquarters and quite frankly all over the D.C. metro area. Um, The author says, I believe this was one of the driving forces that led Dulles to not only implement robots into the sky, but actually replace birds in the process. They did not need to kill all the birds and could have launched a quarter of the robot birds that they did. But pigeons in D.C. at that time were absolutely ruthless. End quote. Um, there, there's more to it, but I just thought that was funny that uh, that they Dulles hated birds so much that he's like, we could replace the birds 
with uh, with cameras, and then we will no longer get bird dookie on our cars, and we'll be able to put cameras in the sky. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, sorry, I'm trying to say it with a straight face. It's really hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dolus with his think tank uh, came up with this idea of replacing all the pigeons in the DC area uh, with with these robot these robotic uh, cameras, um, and they brought it to President Eisenhower who agreed uh that uh that birds would make great uh great robots for the surveillance of people so now they had to come up with a plan to kill over 12 million birds and replace them with uh with robots to create the uh, largest mobile surveillance system ever formed so from here Dolus made the plan uh, to use stealth con- technology. We we just you perfected the stealth bomber, the B fifty two, with uh, the ability to to avoid radar contact. So he contacted Boeing with a plan to make I can't remember how many a uh, hundred and twenty more bombers. I want to say. To, with the purpose of changing the, uh, or of eradicating these birds across the United States, because they went further than just trying to do the D.C. area. Uh, so to kill off these 12 million birds, Dulles made a plan to use some sort of stealth technology to eradicate them. Uh, but he had to hide the process from the general general population, as the government does. <laughs> um, supposedly, he created Area 51 outside of Las Vegas as a place to build um, stealth bombers for the mission of destroying the birds, um, you know, outside of the prying eyes of the people of Seattle. Uh, these planes would be the weapon that would destroy all birds. $65 billion were diverted from public health funds to build drones and planes, as well as to exterminate the pigeons of America. Um, these new B-52 planes were fitted with 450-gallon water drums in place of bombs and were nicknamed the Bird 52. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, the, the more you go into it, the better it gets. <laughs> So I don't know, man. Sometimes if, you know, the presence of these little details is uh, what lends credibility to stuff. So that's fair. Um, So the the 450 gallon drums were filled with a bird toxin uh, that would infect birds with an avian virus, uh, which would be able to pass on, which would be able to be passed on to other members of the avian species. These toxins were released at 8,000 feet above ground level over certain areas um, at night in order to destroy the bird populations. Um, on June 2nd, 1959, Operation Water the Country and Operation Very Big Bird were launched. Uh, from 1959 to 1976, birds were systematically exterminated and replaced by robot surveillance models of those birds. Within five years, 15% of the U.S. birds had been destroyed and replaced. Um, from here, um, I, I'm not going to go into the details about how President John F. Kennedy overheard a conversation between uh, Dulles and uh, an operative, but, um, needless to say, go on the website, read it. It's very, um, integral to now, You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Do it. Um, he felt, <laughs> sorry. Uh, he felt that, uh, a member of his staff, uh, Alvin Cleaver, um, was stealing his ham sandwiches late at night. 
out of the uh, out of the White House kitchen. And so John this F. Is, Kennedy. This is Kennedy that thought yes. someone was stealing his sandwiches, or yes, yes. okay, no, John F. Kennedy. Gotcha. Um, and, and so he uh, put a wiretap onto this uh, this person's uh, telephone. And so late at night, he was up and he was listening to this wiretap, uh, trying to get evidence that Cleaver was stealing, um, was stealing his sandwiches and um, overheard Cleaver and Dulles uh, discussing the eradication of these birds. Um, and it, it really confused President Kennedy. And so he actually called the two of them into the Oval Office to to discuss uh what he had overheard um and, and but the problem is the cia did didn't want uh anybody to know about the uh this replacement of birds uh that was happening and uh when the president was let in on a secret or had discovered the secret um they came clean and described what was happening uh and they came up they had this plan to unleash a new targeted prototype that would uh, target birds of prey at the time. Hmm. And Kennedy was absolutely appalled. Like how, how dare these people uh, attempt to kill our nation's mascot and uh, a national bird, the bald Eagle. And so he stood up and said, no, I won't stand for it. Um, and a little known fact, shortly after this meeting, uh, President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to draw <laughs> any, uh, any lines between the two, but uh, there is a possibility it was because he stood up to the, uh, to the CIA and their, and, and their anti-bird movement. And, and this is from the website, so I'm not like over exaggerating. This is from the website; you can read it. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting the correlations that uh, the people draw. So, <laughs> sorry, that was really hard to say with a straight face. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, anyway, ever since uh, President Kennedy stood up for these birds, the CIA uh, has started to actually rig U.S. Uh, elections. Um, they uh, they start to vet and um, choose candidates based on their anti-bird and uh, pro-surveillance choices and allow the American people to choose between two pre-selected candidates uh, for president every year. That's why a third party will never happen here in America because the CIA rigs it. So only two candidates will ever rise above everybody else. Um, so my hopes are dashed. So, so from Lyndon president. Johnson <laughs> to, uh, to current president, um, Joe Biden, that's his name. Oh my gosh. I feel like an idiot for like, even <laughs> like tongue tying that. So from Lyndon Johnson to Joe Biden, they've all been pre-vetted by the CIA to uh, to make sure that they're anti-bird and pro-surveillance. Gotcha. <laughs> well, the CIA is a professional at rigging elections uh, abroad, so who knows? Um, so from there, the history on the website kind of digresses uh, to be more silly and uh, in a strange way, believable history. So we would go ahead and encourage everybody to go and read the rest of the story on the website uh, as it goes on to kind of explain uh, and enmesh and everything from the New World Order, use of drugs to control soldiers uh, and the general population, as well as the use of other technologies to continue to monitor and spy on the American people. So, uh, however... Don't be afraid because the drones are programmed to stay within American borders. So the rest of the world doesn't need to fear for surveillance from the CIA uh, for their own birds. Um, but uh, didn't Snowden have to flee the USA for saying that we were spying on civilians, both in our country as well as in others? 
So this could probably go deeper than actually documented. All right. I didn't add this to the notes, but uh, proof. What are some of the proofs uh, on this? <laughs> we, we already covered. We've got Canadian geese that refuse to travel north for the winter. They stay in cities. Yeah. Um, the other one that I've heard is that the whole reason that um, you see birds perching on power lines is that that's how they how the drones recharge. So the the feet are made out of some type of conductive material, and so they they perch on the power line and they they recharge, and then when they're done recharging, they they go fly around some more. So <laughs> I don't know if that's proof or not, but that's uh, that's the other like. Um, supposed detail about this theory that I'm familiar with. Makes sense to me. (laughs) Um, There's also been uh, a lot more pigeons and a lot less uh, songbirds. Um, If you live in any city in America, you'll, you know that, uh, that you see more pigeons than any other bird. Um, They're everywhere. I mean, just saying, yeah. <clears throat> Maybe that's why it's a big city thing is because there's more, it's a more target rich environment <laughs> in the big city. So I don't think we, I, like I'm sure where I live in Idaho, over here in West Idaho, I'm sure it's within the range of the pigeon, but I honestly don't think I have ever seen one here. So we get a lot of like, I don't remember the ones that I see. Definitely a lot of like hawks, uh, a lot of morning doves, Canadian geese, a fair amount of songbirds, but no pigeons. I, I've decided that uh, I've decided that morning doves are like the country pigeon. <laughs> That's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> They're much better looking and much more pleasant than pigeons. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're technically part of the same family, so. Probably. They are very similar in size and appearance. Yeah. They, they have the, a, a gray a gray head instead of a green or a blue one. Yeah. The, the one bird that I could believe <laughs> is a surveillance drone or starlings. Because I cannot stand those things. They're so invasive and they make such an annoying noise and they like destroy the the natural ecology of all of the other birds in the area where they get introduced. So I could see that. Knock on wood. We haven't, I mean, not really, but we <laughs> haven't gotten a one. problem with those, uh, over here in Denver yet. Oh, they're, they're not as bad here as they were in Utah, but they're still bad. I mean, it's bad enough that, um, the Idaho fishing game allows you to harvest a starling at any type, any time of year, no tag required, any legal weapon. You just have to have a basic hunting license and you can shoot a starling because they're so invasive. Probably not in the city, but yeah, that's yeah. When, that's the, any legal weapon part of it, right? There so it's not, go. it's not legal to discharge a firearm in the city, but or at least yeah. not certain types of firearms. Oh man, yeah, there's some invasive bird species. Um, before we go into the actual uh, history of this uh, conspiracy theory and how it actually got its start, um, in regards to the pigeons, I took a an ecology class and they were talking about why there's more city birds uh, across America, and it's not because, well, according to my professor, it's not because. Um, the government is replacing them with drones. It's actually uh, because cities and suburban sprawl has like destroyed so much natural habitat. We've uh, we've destroyed ninety five percent of our uh, of our forests here in America, and our grasslands have all been replaced with farmland. And then all the cities you have city centers, and then um, if you're outside of America, look up. U.S. suburban sprawl, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's just roads upon roads upon roads and of uh, single-family homes. 
and it just takes up so much space. Um, but because of the habitat change, our songbirds are staying away from where we live now. And the only birds that actually have found a niche in populous areas are pigeons because they have, they will eat anything and everything um, out there. <laughs> and so actually that's why, that's the ecological reason why there's more pigeons uh, alive in human populates in human populated areas than there are other birds. I've heard it also has to do with light pollution. That that's why there's fewer songbirds in uh, in city areas or in populated areas. Something about, you know, having all of these um, fancy little like HOA developed neighborhoods with street lights that stay on uh, all night just drives away the the birds. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of a lot of birds when they're nesting uh, and trying to raise a brood, um, any type of potential threat will cause them to abandon eggs. And so if you keep abandoning eggs um, because of cars honking and people talking and listening to music and stuff outdoors, uh, that could have a, issues with it too. Yeah. Yeah. So. So what's the uh, the real story then, supposedly? <laughs> All right. Uh, Put on our government shill hats for a minute. <laughs> so this has been on 60 Minutes. It's been on MSNBC. It's been on uh, a lot of the mainstream news sites. But the... Uh, the, the creator of this uh, conspiracy theory, or at least the operator of the website, uh, is a person by the name of Peter McIndoe. Um, he was at a uh, women's rights march in Memphis, Tennessee, and he saw a bunch of uh, QAnon counter-protesters at this march. Um, so he took it upon himself to grab a piece of poster paper uh, join the counter-protesters and hold up a sign that read, Birds Aren't Real. Um, and he held it up just alongside the QAnon protesters, and he was yelling this Birds Aren't Real slogan, and video of this actually went viral. Uh, pictures <laughs> and video of this guy holding up a Birds Aren't Real poster um, out amongst a, a bunch of QAnon, um, QAnon believers. And so he, when it went viral, uh, he went and created an Instagram account that started to just blow up the internet. People thought, oh my gosh, that's such a great way to troll the trolls type of thing. And so <laughs> people copycatted, uh, tagged, this Instagram account and pictures of them holding up birds aren't real signs. And it just spread like wildfire. Uh, eventually it spread so far that he had to create a more cemented uh, satirical conspiracy theory so that he could explain it to these conspiracy theorists who would have cost him the followers at these, uh, <laughs> at these rallies. And so he created a whole story about the CIA destroying birds, replacing them with drones. Uh, and um, he had everything from Area 51. Alien invasions was just uh, drone technology that we, that we just had failed. And so we had to destroy it. And, and that's why we had the alien crash landings. Area 51 was used to create stealth technology to deploy these bird bombs, uh, JFK assassination, J every conspiracy theory <laughs> that he could grab, mm -hmm. he threw it in and made it work with his birds aren't real conspiracy theory. Gotcha. Um, and uh, he kept the joke going um, until 2021. Uh, he finally came out and said, no, it's a joke. It's satire. It's not real. Um, and I read somewhere that the reason he did that is, uh, some Gen Zers who 
didn't really know how to do research or the gullible among the Gen Zers. And I, I don't want to be generational at all. Um, we're actually starting to take him seriously and actually starting to believe in the theory and rather than spread more misinformation. So he trolled this idea of using misinformation to troll people who spread misinformation, turning into real misinformation. He wanted to put <laughs> like, stop that before it got out of hand. And that's when he came out and said, no, it's satire, completely satire. Like, don't believe it. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I can, I can see that. That's a, a logical chain of cause and effect that, <laughs> that uh, seems legit to me. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit funny that it uh, kind of sounds like it kind of got away from him in a way, like it took hold and maybe he uh, overestimated the intelligence of the average American <laughs> a little bit. You know what's funny? Um, I, I, I'm sure I've shared this on stream before or on, on the podcast before, but uh, there's a famous quote from the guy that creates um, bear proof trash cans that oh. says uh, it's basically the reason why you can't create a truly bear proof con uh, trash can is there's a certain crossover between the dumbest human and the smartest bear. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. And I mean, I'm not saying that humans are all dumb, but sometimes when you have people who dumb is not a good word, uh, people who don't have the skill set or the knowledge to research something ignorant. Mm, yeah, that's. That's a good word for it. Actually, I think that is the word for it. Uh, <laughs> when when the ignorant among us uh, don't take the time to actually research for real and believe anything, that's how things like this spread. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's, I think there's a lot of things that are spread that way, unfortunately. I mean, the the big one, um, I think, is the anti-vax movement. Um, just like you said, like, being ignorant to the science behind it, but then also refusing to do the research, right? Just believing what you read on social media. It's kind of the, the, same, the same thing. One's obviously you know, a little bit more serious than the other, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's a, a little bit of a pattern with modern society, so. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> I, I do I do applaud uh, the creator of this satire, though. Like, what a great way to kind of stand up against misinformation by trolling people who latch on to misinformation like yeah exactly it's brilliant yeah so <laughs> I, I know we kind of have already done this but uh, and we probably should have done it before we did the official real government uh, approved explanation <laughs> but uh, <laughs> validity uh so, are birds really drones? Uh, no. <laughs> the, I know there are drones that are meant to look like birds. They're specifically created for scientists to study the mechanics of avian flight. Um, so, they're, they're basically artificial birds, but they're very few. They are not performing surveillance of any kind. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about is government surveillance real, <laughs> and that's a, a very different conversation. But oh, yeah. It's not being performed by the birds that you see in your neighborhood sitting on the power lines. 
in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Yes, birds are not real. <laughs> I'm a biologist. I know this. <laughs> no, uh, birds are definitely real. Um, if you if you look at the history and even like suspend your your what's it called when you're on the stage suspend your doubt suspend your disbelief um and just try Mm -hmm. to believe it and look at the facts like my logical analytical brain if this program was started in the 1950s i don't know how many of you have seen video technology from the 1950s it is a (laughs) hand cranked motion activated camera that is grabbing snapshots of camera no way in hell (laughs) you're fitting that into a bird that is not and and yeah there's no way um we didn't have wi-fi technology we did have radio technology we didn't have a really solid way of sending images through radio waves at that time and there's just too much that does not add up (laughs) in my opinion so birds are real we have never replaced the birds maybe like men who stare at goats maybe the cia (laughs) thought about possibly doing it at some point and then realized that it would be a stupid idea Honestly, if you told me that the CIA was taping radio transmitters and microphones to real birds and letting them loose in areas, I would believe that a hundred times before I would believe that birds were artificial drones. Yes. A hundred percent. It just, it does crack me up though. I love the, the I love this whole idea of this neurotoxin viral thing that creates an avian flu that jumps from bird species to bird species so the government doesn't actually have to kill all the birds. They just let the birds kill themselves. Like <laughs> there's so much there's so much to that. And I'm I'm wondering if he threw that in there just to like describe H one N one, like some of the some of the bird flu. <laughs> things that we've had in the past it's just funny honestly it's it's a very creative idea and would make a a great premise for like a series of alternate history dystopian novels right (laughs) um scalzi-esque uh like low-hanging fruit yeah exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Actually, if I were a better writer than I am, it would be a really fun novel to write. It would be a really fun one to read. I'm I'm not a great fiction writer, but <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> definitely not a, not a realistic premise, though. There you go. So, I think we're in agreement. Birds really are real. <laughs> yep. Now, dinosaurs, on the other hand. Oh dear! <laughs> Sorry, I spent too much time online. Uh, <laughs> we should probably go on to our mindfulness moment before this derails any further. There you go. Um, so this week, uh, I I didn't really pull up a quote or anything. We usually do a quote or a little like meditation or something to go. But um, I have been reading uh, this book called. From Homeless to Billionaire by Andres uh, Pira. He's a uh, real estate mogul. He lives in Thailand. But uh, he was talking, basically, the premise of his book is um, during a really low point in his life. He reached out to some of his friends from when he was growing up in Sweden and asked for some monetary help. And um, his friend said that he couldn't do it, but sent him out the book, The Secret. Uh, if you don't know what The Secret is, it's all about manifestation. Basically, um, believing something so much in your brain, mind's eye, 
putting it out into the universe. The universe receives those vibrations that you're putting out there and responds with like vibrations, uh, granting you these type of wishes type of thing. I don't know how much I believe that. I, uh, if I, if, if anything, I want to disprove it myself. We'll see. But he put out an, a, an exercise, uh, in, in this book and, out of curiosity, I just went, you know what, I'm going, I'm going to try it. So here's the exercise. He, he challenged the reader to, to write down everything that you don't want in life, uh, until you can think of no longer don't wants like things like, I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be a drug addict. I don't want to, I don't want to be a deadbeat dad. I don't want to be just all the things that you don't want. And then he said, once you reach the end of that list, take every single one of those and turn it into an, I want statements. Take that. I don't want to be homeless and turn it into an, I want to have a home. And so you take the, I don't want, you turn them into, I want. And that part of the exercise, even in itself, just changed my my, my mindset. And it really helped to take these negatives and turn them into positives. And then the next step that he, uh, he'd said in the book was to, was to take those I wants and turn them into tangible goals. Um, and so taking like, I want to have a home. Well, I'm, I'm in a home. But if I didn't, like, what would I do to achieve that in creating little stepping stones, which I thought was really this great idea of changing, changing your mind around. Um, and then after all of that, after this exercise, he wanted you to write down five I am statements, uh, which are affirmations, things that you say when you're down things that you say when you need to pick me up things that you say to change your mindset. And so, um, I had written down some of these, I am statements like I am, uh, I am healthy. I am good. I am worthy things like that. And, um, so I started reading this book two weeks ago, got to the, I am statements and a week of waking up, and saying these positive I am statements. And before I go to bed saying these positive I am statements, I'm amazed at how, how fulfilling it's been for my life and how it has changed and altered my perception. And so like this mindfulness moment is more of a, I'm not telling you to go out and manifest a million dollars, but I am going to challenge everybody to develop some I am statements and try to say them to yourself before you go to bed, right when you wake up. So first thing, when you wake up, say it last thing before you go to bed, say this I am statement and see how it impacts your life. For me, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I I feel like doors are opening because I am more aware of possibility rather than limitation. So that was my, that was my mindfulness moment today. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting and kind of cool how you, how you've taken this very mystical kind of woo woo concept of uh, like refocusing the universe's energy to work for you and turn it into just a nice mindfulness exercise that you can use to kind of reframe your own mindset and kind of have a, a more positive mental outlook, which compared to trying to uh, manipulate the energy of the universe is, is much more achievable. <laughs> so I really like it. I think that's something I'm going to try and do. Cool. I, I look forward to hearing how it goes. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm not a believer in manifestation at all, but I do like the benefits uh, to my life that having these affirmations has given me. Cool. Yeah. I guess that's it. 
I think so. Uh, what are we talking about next week? I think next week we're doing just a general catch-up show um, where we're allowed to go off the rails and talk about whatever our hearts content. Maybe books, maybe video games, may just be us shooting the shit. Sounds like a good time. Another potpourri episode. Yep. Potpourri volume three, I think it is. Yeah. And for those of us, uh, well, for those of us in the chat rooms, uh, feel free to come and interact with us during that. We, uh, we'll try to be as interactive as possible with anybody that is catching the live show. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah.